Hello and welcome to the Flat Chat Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about email addresses and whether your neighbours can see yours or whether you can see theirs. And new changes to the law governing off-the-plan contracts and sunset clawbacks. And I'll be talking about how to foment a quiet revolution in your building. I'm Jimmy Thompson. And I'm Sue Williams. And this is a Flat Chat Wrap. have been raging on your flat chat website haven't they yes you're very croaky today sue you, yeah i'm you, sorry you, i've had a bit of a cold and a cough and this um smoke won't be helping no no it isn't really but i'm soldiering on jimmy thank you for your concern well we are worried about you we couldn't couldn't do this without you so yes the email thing um it's a funny thing you i thought that email addresses were not required to be provided uh, on the strata roll. But if you read the, the Strata Act carefully, it quite clearly says that if you have an email address, it should be on the roll. Right, because I thought it was just physical addresses. Yeah, so did I, so did I. But it quite clearly says there, provide your postal address and an email address if you have one. Now, like everybody has an email address these days. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, if somebody, if a building manager wants to make an announcement, it, it's much easier to do it over the email, really, than, than any other way. But the problem is, if ordinary owners want to get in touch with all the other owners, especially if they want to say the strata manager isn't very good, <laughs> then email addresses get them straight in uh, to, to make that connection. I mean, one of the things about postal addresses is you can put the postal address of your agent. A lot of them never pass on the mail anyway. You know, so we have both run campaigns in our buildings and found it's very, very difficult to get a hold of people. Mm. But if we had their email addresses, we could send out all sorts of things to them. And I think that's what worries people. Yeah. And as well, people don't want to be bothered too much by other people saying, oh, I'm angry about somebody putting in rubbish into the recycling that wasn't suitable and... You know, they don't want a constant stream of emails from their neighbours, really. No, they don't. But, you know, there are certain issues that uh, when you've got a strata manager or a chairperson or a secretary who's a kind of gatekeeper for all correspondence, and at the, the same time they're sending out emails with, it might be the committee minutes or it might be notices from them misleading all the owners about what the situation is in the building, then they have a terribly unfair advantage. Hmm, that's true. So does anybody have a right to have other people's emails addresses in a building? Well, the the if you go on the SCA, the, the Strata Community Australia uh, website, and that's the website for all or most strata managers in the country, it's the professional bodies website. It says that you may not give out email addresses as part of the, the strata role because of privacy issues the catch-all privacy issues <laughs> but then other people say well privacy issues don't apply to strata oh, because it's a closed community partly because it's a closed community and partly because the privacy guidelines say that they only apply to corporations that have a turnover of three million dollars or more a year now not many strata schemes have that kind of turnover mm. so they 
they don't come under the privacy rules for that reason. And the privacy principles, as they call them, the Australian privacy principles, also say that these privacy issues don't apply where information like email addresses has been provided under the terms of another law. The Strata Act is a law that requires you to provide an email address. And then it goes on to say that the email address can only be used for the principal purpose, not the secondary purpose. And so now you have an argument about, well, is the principal purpose of providing your email address so that you can get minutes and notices of meetings, and is communication with other owners a secondary purpose? It's very complicated, and people are getting really angry. People are getting really angry at me. <laughs> I get angry at you sometimes too. Yeah. I can, I can appreciate you that. can, you can relate to those people. Mm. I mean, I think email addresses should be available because it also says in the law that one of the reasons that you provide an address in your strata role is so that owners can communicate with each other. Mm. So surely, emails are a means of doing that. That is open to anyone. So this privacy nonsense, people say, if you send me an email, that's an intrusion in, in my privacy. Well, if you feel that protective of your privacy, don't open it. Yeah, yeah, or make it, assign it immediately to a junk folder or something. Yeah, which a lot of people do with emails from me, it seems <laughs> to be. <laughs> it's a tough one. I think it should be everybody or nobody. So I think if you're going to say that owners cannot use email addresses, then you should say, well, neither can the committee, but then that's stupid. Mm. And, you know, neither can the strata manager, but then that's stupid. One of the questions that came up was because somebody had gone to their strata manager and said they wanted to see the strata role, and the strata manager said you can't. They wouldn't let them see anything. They wouldn't let them see the names of the other owners or anything because of these so-called privacy issues. But any member of a building has the right to go into the strata manager's office and ask to see the strata role, don't they? Absolutely. But yeah. some strata managers just say, no, no, it's, it's private information. I can't let you see it. We've got to understand that uh, a lot of strata managers don't know what they're doing. Mm. You know, they get a five-day course and that gives them their strata manager ticket and then they can go off and, and work as a strata manager and get paid for it. No, that's not fair. I was going to say very few of them. A lot of them don't do any follow-up training. Um, they sit in their little office. We often quote, quote the case of the strata manager who turned up for a building's first AGM and ran the meeting on the old strata laws. Oh, yes. <laughs> a year after the new strata laws had come in. And uh, when she was pulled up on this, she got very annoyed and said, well, nobody told me they'd changed. <laughs> so, you know, you're do talking about very different levels of competence the people that we know who work in, in strata and management companies, they have ongoing training programs. So they're always bringing people up to speed. So you think it should be much clearer within the strata regulations? I think it should be absolutely spelled out. I've written to both Fair Trading and to the Justice Department. I fully expect Fair Trading will say, well, we can't make a ruling on this because we only advise people you know, to look at the law. And I'm sure that Justice or the Attorney General's office will say, oh, this is a fair trading issue, so we can't tell you what it is. Oh, how so once, Yeah, so once I've been bounced back and forth between those two bodies and then threatened them with exposure of some sort, maybe we'll get an answer. But we really need it. It needs to be definitive. 
because at the moment the people who are holding the information, which is the strata managers generally, are being advised not to give out email addresses. I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong under the law. I think they have been misled. But I also think there's a danger that if everybody has access to everyone's email addresses, then people will stop giving their email addresses to the strata manager to put on the roll. It's interesting, though. A few years ago, in a building in which you know, I had an interest, I wanted to write to the secretary of the EC, and I asked the strata manager for the secretary's email address. I mean, I was an owner, and he said, no, you can't have the secretary's email address because otherwise... If I gave it to you, I'd have to give it to everyone. Then everybody would write to them. And I said, well, who else is going to write to the Secretary of the Strata organisation? Like it's, and another chairperson, I remember, would argue that he wouldn't give out executive committee members' emails at all. I kept saying, these should be on the board for everyone to see. And he yep. said, no, they will be deluged with, with mail. And eventually I won the argument. We put them on the board. I mean, they probably received... The secretary probably received three emails in a year. Yeah. The chairperson yeah. received nothing. The, sec- yeah. the treasurer received nothing. And um, one other person received a note about pets. And that was it. I mean, people aren't that obsessive, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, re- I do remember one chairman who uh, was very much against his own email address being put out there. Um, didn't realize, never read his emails, didn't realize there was a revolution being... <laughs> organized (laughs) and all these really abusive and nasty emails about him were flying around he had no idea and it cost him in the end he uh, he lost his position and uh, became a very unhappy person but that's Mm -hmm. a whole other story so when we find out what the situation is with email addresses it will be on the flat chat website as soon as we get the information which could be next year the way things go. (laughs) Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about a a major win in consumer protection, and we are going to take credit for it, or at least Sue is. That's after this. So, this week, On December the 1st, New South Wales government enacted new consumer protection laws for off-the-plan apartment purchasers. And the person responsible, largely, for these new laws coming in is sitting right opposite me, Sue Williams. (laughs) Thank you for giving me the credit. That's great. Um, it's, It's interesting. We ran a big campaign in the Sydney Morning Herald about sunset clawbacks. So explain what a sunset clawback is, first of all. Okay, when you um, buy an apartment, um, there's always a, a sunset clause in in the contract, and it will say when the apartment building is likely to be finished, yeah, and when there's likely to be settlement, when you pay for it, and when you take ownership of your apartment. Yeah. So, is this a situation where there's a sunset clause that means that if the work goes past a certain date, the contract can be torn up by either party? That's right. In the past, it was only able to be torn up by the developer, really. Yeah. Um, it was virtually impossible for the for the buyer to be able to cancel the contract because it had overrun. Right. Could overrun. And in a rising market, the danger was that developers seemed to be delaying work on their apartment buildings because the price of the apartments had gone up hugely in the interim. And so developers realised that if they were able to cancel the contract 
refund the buyers their 10%. Yeah. They could then put them back on the market and charge a much bigger price for them. Right. So it seems that some developers were actually doing that. Some, you know, obviously um, mean developers. Mean, mean and nasty. <laughs> That's right. So we ran a series of articles about people in this situation taking the developers to court and claiming that the developers were deliberately delaying work in order to make more money. Right. And some of these people won their cases. And yeah. we talked to Victor Dominello, who was then the Minister for Innovation and Better Regulation. Yeah. And um, he agreed that the situation was pretty dire. So he agreed to enact some new legislation to protect buyers against these sunset clawbacks. Yeah. Well, what was happening, I mean, just to put that in context, until he stepped in, um, the chances of these people winning the court cases weren't that great because the laws were stacked against them. But I looked up these stories as I report in the Flat Chat website this week. Can you remember how long ago that was? Do you want to take a guess? A year? It's four years ago. Wow. Four years ago, I was in Victor Dominello's office and he said, so what else is going on in Strata? And I said, you should check out this story that Sue Williams is writing because it's absolutely crazy, uh, this sunset clawback thing. He was appalled when I explained what was behind it and he checked out the story and he, you called him up and I think within 10 days they had brought in new regulations to stop it from happening. And uh, with the promise that they would bring in legislation to increase the consumer protection for people buying off the plan. That's right. So now developers have to go to court. And if the property buyer refuses to rescind the contract, the developer has to argue and try and prove that they were right to, to try and tear up the contract themselves, which is much more difficult to do. Well, And there's already been one case, in fact, the case that you highlighted. In fact, the developer had moved into the apartment that they'd... Yes, he was living in the penthouse apartment that he'd already sold to somebody else who was sitting waiting and waiting and waiting for it to be completed. Right. Um, yeah, it was a horrendous case, really. And I, I remember the developer went to court and it actually wasn't the original developer. It was somebody who'd bought the development. And it seemed to be, I think he actually said in court that he'd only bought it on the, the proviso that he'd be able to rescind all the contracts and resell... Mm. all the apartments and he was talking about how he was going to lose millions on the deal oh, it yeah. was but it was disgraceful you know just a terrible way to behave because okay you get your 10 percent deposit back but if the market has gone up 15 20 percent you're effectively blocked out of the market you yeah, can't you, afford to buy in again exactly and you've been waiting two years sometimes in rented accommodation, just waiting, waiting, waiting for your apartment to be built and finished, and yep. you're left with absolutely nothing by the end. So what else has the new legislation got in it? Because it certainly covers that. That's right. Also things like um, buyers now being provided with information about the development, including copies of the proposed plan and the bylaws and a schedule of finishes before the contracts are signed. Um, and that's really important. I remember with our new building that we moved into, we'd bought off the plan. Yep. It was impossible to get any of the schedules and yep. the regulations, the bylaws. It was really hard to get any documentation at all. Yeah. And without the documentation, it's really hard to prove that if anything has changed in the interim. Yeah, because that's another thing that they brought in is if there's a significant change from what you were sold you can either get compensation or a refund or you can re you can rescind the contract if you want. That's right, because we had lots of cases where 
people had bought one-bedroom apartments and then when they actually went to look at them at the final inspection, they were turned into studio apartments. Yes. With just like a curtain, bet- you know, between the the bed and the kitchen. It was yeah. just shocking. And also many of them were much smaller than they'd actually yeah. bought. Yeah. Do you remember those? Yeah, we called that shape-shifting. Shape-shifting, yes. Because I remember there was a case of a guy who'd bought this fabulous apartment, uh, penthouse apartment with a a big terrace on the top floor. And then when the when he finally went to to move in, he discovered they'd built another apartment where his terrace was supposed to be. Oh, it's shocking. And we had a case just recently where a woman had bought an apartment because it, it had a, a great ground floor terrace and she thought it was fantastic because she'd be able to entertain there. Yeah. And when she went to look at it, there's a pillars there. Um, so she there, there's no room to put in even a table and one chair. And she said to the developer, you know, why is this? And the developer said, well, it was a very, it's a much more difficult site than we originally believed it to be. So we have to put those pillars up. Otherwise, the whole building would fall down. (laughs) And she was saying, well, that's not really why I bought an apartment there. And in the end, she won that case. And that's good. And that's that's a consequence of all this stuff. Because in the past, they would have just said, tough, you know, take it or leave it. That's right, because they had most of the power. It yeah. was a terrible imbalance. And now, obviously, developers still have the power, but the balance is a lot more um, even than it's ever been before, which is a fantastic thing. And also, um, the Supreme Court can now award damages where the vendor terminates under a sunset clause as well. Before, they weren't able to award damages. But oh, now right. They can. Okay, so that getting your... Um your 10% back, you can also go in and say, oh, by the way, that 10% is now worth a lot more than when I put the money in because I want to be able to buy in at the same level. Sure, or it's cost me an awful lot to go to court against you. Yeah. So therefore well, yeah, I want course, to be compensated, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, we forget about that, you know, that mm. these all these court cases and people threatening to sue each other, um, then they get the bill from the lawyers. Yeah, and I think final, the one, was um, extending the calling off period to 10 business days. Um, and that's interesting because I, it, more recently it's been seven business days. Yeah. But in the early days, if you remember sometimes buying off the plan, um, people would be queuing up outside a building, a hot new building. Yeah. And they'd be told they had to make a decision within an hour. Yeah. And they had to yeah. sign a piece of paper to say that, you know, they had they had to decide then. Yeah. And they would forego the calling off period. Yeah. And, and now that's no longer allowed. Yeah. I mean, that was a ridiculous thing, wasn't it? They said it's a mandatory cooling off period but you can sign it away yeah i mean and it kind of fed into the whole hysteria about off the plan apartments which is it's not good to be an emotional decision this is the biggest amount of money you're ever going to be spending in your life yeah and often it's young people and first home buyers going to buy studios or one bedroom apartments and they kind of get caught up in the frenzy yeah and it's not fair to take advantage of them in that way when they say it's coming around again they, um, they were talking about it on TV last night, that the market's going up again. And FOMO, fear of missing out, is yeah. driving a lot of people back into bidding more than they'd planned to for uh, houses and apartments. So uh, it looks like the, the cycle has turned and uh, soon it will be worth those developers doing the sunset clawbacks, but they won't be able to do it again. No, thank, thank goodness. <laughs> When we come back, I'm going to be talking about this week's column in the Australian Financial Review, which is how to organise a quiet revolution. 
in your building. That's after this. Jimmy, I mean, we've been hearing a lot about quiet Australians and how we all need to be much louder Australians, really. Um, so what's the quiet revolution? Well, it's, you know, look, I've done my um, fair share of stirring up trouble in strata. <laughs> some, some of the strata I've actually lived in. And one of the things that I've discovered over the years is that people who live in apartment buildings, owners who are engaged, the ones who actually turn up at meetings, they're not interested in two of their neighbours squabbling over who's right and who's wrong. You could have the best campaign. So you're talking about getting rid of your executive committee? That kind of thing, replacing yeah. Replacing them with new people, that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, mm. And, um, you know, you, you could have the best reasons for doing that, but if you're standing up and shouting at people and saying this guy's a fraud and he's a bully and he's a liar it doesn't go down well with the people that you hope will support you absolutely because um they don't see you suddenly becoming a, a as a reasonable voice and somebody that they want to trust with the future of their apartment building yeah they see you as an angry rabble rouser really yes so what that's do you do exactly instead? what they see me yeah. as <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do instead how can you foment a quiet Revolution. I think there's using things like newsletters and emails and, and posters and things like that on the notice board and just putting out the message rather than going, why aren't we doing this? We should be doing this. Taking the attitude of, hey, wouldn't it be great if we did this? And hey, wouldn't we save money a bit if we if we did that? Um, kind of like giving people the feeling that you're actually contributing so a positive way very much a positive way and in the meantime leave it to the other side to be the angry and unreasonable ones mm. you know and if they go oh this person has got good ideas and they're becoming quite popular and people are talking about him or her we should get them on board well you've kind of achieved your quiet revolution already haven't you you don't have to get rid of everybody in one fell swoop no because they're listening to you then they're now listening to you and they're now talking about your ideas and you you are inside the tent. I mean, when people write to the website, to the forum, and people come on to the radio when I'm on radio, I mean, I always end up asking them, what is it that you want? Because you know, people will say, well, my chairman does this and they sent these emails out and blah, blah, blah. And you end up saying, well, what is it that you want? You know, you may in your heart want them to suffer horribly but what is it that you want to achieve? And you usually find out that what they want to achieve is actually quite reasonable. And if they went about it in a reasonable way, they might achieve something. Mm. And also, I mean, word of mouth can be quite powerful in a building, can't it? I mean, depending on how many people live there. I mean, in every building, there tends to be different little sects, like there might be mm. the dog owners groups, yep, you know, the, yep. every, they all kind of know each other by yep. their dogs. There might be the, the people who go to the gym a lot. They all tend to know each other. And you can kind of talk to one person you might know in each of the groups about your ideas and hope that they might pass them on or, or talk to their friends about what you're planning. Yeah, you know, I, I've just been listening to a lot of podcasts about the American political system and how it works, specifically in Iowa, which is the first uh, state that uh, chooses candidates. And they're, you know, they, they, they have these people on the ground. They go round to 
people's houses. They have wine evenings for the candidate. Well, the candidate's not there, but they have this thing, and they are there to talk about the candidate. And they have a party organiser who says, this is the candidate's policies, try and convince people who, you know, usually the people are undecided at at the worst, try to convince them that the candidate's policies are good and workable. But then the next stage is they say to them, we need you to go out and talk to your neighbours, and this is what you need to say to them. And so what they're doing is spreading, literally spreading the word that... That, that candidate should be considered. And it's very, very effective. I think I'm getting off topic here. <laughs> <laughs> you want to run the country or you just want to run apartment buildings? <laughs> well, I, th- I think the uh, illusion is valid that um, if you can sit down with people and say, hey, you know, we could save a lot of money if we had solar panels on the roof. And I'm not convinced that the arguments against that are valid. So, yeah, maybe we should all have a chat about this and maybe one of us could do some research and just engage people rather than bashing people over the head with an idea. Because in any apartment building, you could hold a wine and cheese evening and invite a few people along and get a a local, you know, wine shop to provide a little bit of wine or something. Yes, they'll be happy to to do that usually. Our wine shop will provide a little bit of wine if you provide a little bit of money, usually. (laughs) That's how it tends to work. Okay. Well, it's probably worth the investment, really. Actually doing something kind of in in a nice way and engaging people in a nice way about an issue that you feel strongly about and and not getting angry. Yes. Not drinking too much of that wine in the evening. Don't don't get angry, I think, is the the key to all this Mm. because uh, angry people... Are not attractive. They're not attractive. Even when you think, I agree with that person... You're going, yeah, okay, but what's he going to be like on something I don't agree with? That's right, and humour can be a a much more powerful weapon, really. If somebody has an extremely good sense of humour and can laugh even when they're being shouted at, that can be quite seductive too. I think that may be one of the definitions of insanity. (laughs) 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 Laughing when you're being shouted at. (laughs) I don't know if it helps. Uh, anyway, Sue, so we've tested your throat to the max uh, today, so thank you so much for coming along and talking to us again. Oh, it's a great, always great fun, Jimmy. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks a lot. Bye. 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 If you enjoy these podcasts, and would you still be listening if you didn't, you can subscribe free of charge on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and lots of other podcast platforms. As I said, it's free of charge, and that means the podcast will be delivered directly to your phone, laptop, or computer as soon as it's published. You'll find links at the end of the show notes, that's the related story, on the Flat Chat website. And the website is where you go to find the stories we've been discussing today, as well as about 10 years of archives and, of course, your questions and answers on the Flat Chat forum. Just log in to flat-chat.com.au to ask a question or, even better, answer someone else's. Okay, thanks for listening. I'm Jimmy Thompson. Talk to you again soon.